everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of Dairy Free State, where we talk about the intersection between food and health. And when I'm talking about health, it could be a number of things, right? Physical, emotional health, spiritual health. And today we're going to be talking with Lisa Kingery. She's a public health dietitian and the CEO of Food Right. Lisa, it's so good to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. Okay, so to get started, I want you to talk about your personal food story. So um, tell us a little bit about the way you eat and what got you to eat that way. So, you know, was there a shift in your life? Uh, Tell us about what happened. Sure. Well, um, so I grew up in the 70s and my mother, while she's a wonderful, she was a wonderful mother. She was a really, you know, just a horrible cook. And so... (laughs) you know, she wasn't exceptional, I would say. She was um, very, um, it was very typical of her time. And when I grew up, so I grew up eating like TV dinners a lot, instant food and processed food a lot. I mean, she did cook every dinner, but it was, you know, sort of a lot of things out of a box. And um, so, so I grew up like that and I grew up really, you know, a fussy eater. I really just found no joy in eating. And, and later when I got older and discovered, you know, food little by little, um, I realized that was because, you know, the food I was served was not necessarily the best food, even though, you know, she, she tried really hard and she did, a, you know, she was, she was a great mom. I just want to say that over and over again, if she's <laughs> listening. So, but, um, so then, um, yeah, that was, that was how I grew up. And so, and then, um, when I graduated from university, I, I had a wonderful opportunity. I was an English major in undergrad and I had the wonderful opportunity of moving to Japan. And I lived in Japan in a, on a small island in a rural village. And I lived there for a very, I lived there for a long time. I ended up living there for six years. And while I was there, when I first moved there, um, there were not, you know, there wasn't a movie theater. There wasn't a bookstore. You know, there wasn't really much for me to do in that little rural town. And so um, I learned how to, and most, and I was teaching English as a second language. And most of my students were um Many of my students were housewives, Japanese housewives who cook every meal. And, and in Japan, you know, food is very central to their culture. And it, it's, um, it's, it's really an amazing cuisine. They eat with the seasons. Um, Japanese people were one of the first people to, um, they were the first people to um, start co-ops, food co-ops. And um, they also started, um, I think, community-supported agriculture as well. Wow. So they're very much in touch with their land and and eating rice that is grown on Japanese soil. So that that um, you know that connection between the land and and who the people are is very much there in Japan. And so that was very eye-opening to me. And I learned from my housewives how to cook fresh and season, you know, that kind of food and. And then I became a little obsessed. I mean, there wasn't a lot for me to do, so I became obsessed with cooking, and um, and I um, really embraced it. And then I could see also that you know in Japan, you would see people live. They have the they have they have the highest um, rate of longevity in Japan, yeah. and um, you could see like really really elderly people, like nine year old people plus riding bicycles to the park to meet their other 90 year old friends so they could play croquet together. And I saw that and I'm like, oh my God, there's such a difference in the way that people eat and the portions they eat and what they eat and how they live their lives. And, and it, I was just like, I need to take this back to America. I'm going to have to change what we're doing in America. I have to share this. And so, yeah. <laughs> originally, yeah. yeah. You were on a mission, right? I was on a mission. It really inspired me. And, um, and I was going to, I was thinking about opening a restaurant, but I really, you know, I, I you know, I, I thought that's not exactly what I want to do. I want to be a healer. I want to heal people somehow. And so eventually I came back to America and I came back to the States and I wanted to be a healer. I wanted to do something with food. And I started going back to school because my undergrad was in English and I knew I had to take at least some science classes. I wasn't sure what, where I was going to go with that. And then just, you know, learn by wandering around. Right. I met somebody yeah. who was going to be a dietitian. I'm like, oh, wow, I never even knew such a thing existed. So then I pursued that. It was I was lucky enough to be in Chicago at that time. That's where I lived. And that's where the headquarters of the American um, Dietetic Association, now called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, is. 
And so they were really welcoming and they let me come to all their meetings and all the meetings I went to, I'd meet a dietitian who was doing some sort of job and all the jobs seemed like amazing to me. And so I was really, I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And then I discovered there was a thing called public health. I didn't know there was such a thing. And I'm like, well, that's that. I'm going to be a public health dietitian. So then I went back to school. I went to, I ended up going to school in New York to become get my master's in public health and dietetics and also to become a certified registered dietitian. And so that's how I got to be, you know, that's how I came to appreciate food, you know, and its impact on, on health and how it can really, you know, be life changing for people. Awesome. So as a public health dietitian, uh, what kind of things do you do? Yeah, so um, I can't speak for all the public health dietitians. There's a, there's usually a public health dietitian um in each um, city's public health department. Our city mm-hmm. actually doesn't, Milwaukee had one and I think they got rid of that one. So they don't have yeah. a dietitian. Can you believe that? So I'm just that's gonna say terrible. that. I know, that's terrible. She was a lovely person and they got when she retired, they decided not to have, to replace her. So I think that stinks a little bit. But <laughs> other than that, a lot of public health dietitians work for WIC. You, have you heard of WIC? Yep, Okay. Definitely. So that WIC stands for, it's an acronym, it stands for Women, Infant, and Children, and mm-hmm. it's really an amazing program that every state has, and um, it staffs a lot of public health dietitians, and it really changes the outcome of, of pregnancy and health and um, infant mortality rates for kids and children. So it, it really makes a difference in their lives. So... Um, I really think that almost everybody, uh, all new moms should have access to some sort of WIC program, but they don't it's for low-income women. Um, and uh, what else do public health dietitians do? So a lot of times they work for the state government or they work for the city government. They work for WIC. Um, they work a lot for extension. Um, we, the University of Wisconsin is, has an extension. Every state has extension programs. And so they do a lot of work through extension. Um, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much, and I'm, I'm a little bit of an exception because I do, I, well, I work in nonprofits and there are some nonprofits that do, um, public health dietetics work, but in Milwaukee, there are not, I can't think of any besides, besides my program, besides food, right? The organization I run. So, um, yeah, so they work in nonprofits as well. Very cool. So I, before we got on the phone, I, I said that I've noticed that people, tend to either interchange uh, terms like dietitian or nutritionist, or they'll call dietitians nutritionists, um, or people don't really know the difference between like dietetics and nutrition and Mm. health coaches. So, so how would you, I mean, you know, coming from the expert, how would you classify each of those categories? Yeah. So, so that's interesting. You brought that up. So there's, I think, um, 35 states in of the 50 that have um, certification for dietetics. So, you know, you know, when you go to the doctor, you are sure that the doctor is an actual doctor that has a medical degree. You like, you want to have that assurance. Right? <laughs> so right. so um, Wisconsin is one of the few states that doesn't have that, um, that certification that um, so anybody in, in Wisconsin can just put a shingle on their, you know, front door and say, nutritionist at work. They can't say dietitian. So, so registered dietitian, I did pass a test and all registered dietitians pass a test um, to be certified and, and only a registered dietitian can work in a hospital and work with diabetes patients or renal patients or, you know, any, any sort of capacity like that. But any, any person in Wisconsin can just say they're a nutritionist, whether they have you know, gone through a credentialed, you know, program and done an internship. And yeah, so that's the difference. And um, the difference between dietitian and nutritionist, I think they're kind of a a synonym, but because so many, there is a, there is a caveat that nobody who didn't go to school to be a dietitian can say they're a dietitian. They can only say they're a nutritionist. And nutritionist has this, this um, connotation of being somebody that works on improving your health, you might already, you know, you mean like you don't have a, a disease state, right? Where a dietitian has more of a connotation of somebody that works in the hospital. Yeah. 
And so the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics changed our our acronym to from being a registered dietitian. I always call myself a registered dietitian because I'm because I'm older, and that's what I started being. <laughs> <laughs> but now the younger registered dietitians call themselves registered dietitian nutritionists. So they're called RDNs, and it means that they can work in you know both capacities. They can work in the hospital, and they can work with renal patients, or they can work you know as weight loss coaches and um, and have a certification in that from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So so that's that. And so um, yeah, our organization, um, Wisconsin um, Association for the um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they've been really strong advocates trying to change the legislation to make sure that there is certification so that you can't, you know, just go to anybody that says they are a nutritionist and they have, you know, maybe they just watched, you know, doctor they watched, you know, Dr. Oz or something, and that's their, that's their, that's right. their whole, um, uh, you know, credential. So, but as it stands now, pretty much anybody can say they're a nutritionist, no matter what their training is. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm a nutritionist, and they've gotten training from like an online course that they took for 10 months or something like that. So, you know, I'm not saying that those don't have any value at all, but you know, a registered dietitian has a four-year degree, has, you know, an accreditation from an accrediting body, and they take a, a test that they have to be accredited from. And so it's a little bit more um, stringent. And it's definitely registered dietitian nutritionists are the food nutrition experts. Yes. So yeah, I think that's really an important point. That's something that I've talked to friends about before, where I'm like, well, you just need to look at, I mean, if if they say they're a nutritionist, they should also say like what education they got, you know, if they got, you know, some kind of certification from somewhere and you can kind of figure out the level of education they got from there. But the nice thing about dietitians is it's all the same. Yeah. There's so many, like there's so many different, well, cause I've been looking at and pursuing different like coaching and nutrition programs and trying to figure out what credential would be right for me. Cause I want right. something that is like, comprehensive and includes research and all of that. Right. So I'm like, all right, you know, what, what paths do I think are good? And the thing that can be tricky is, yeah, you could have the same title, but, but totally different scales of of education. So, so that's been something that I've been really mindful of in my search, like, oh, this is, you know, this is just, this person took something on like, Udemy or whatever. Right. <laughs> and and li- this is like a two year master's degree. Okay. That's a big difference. So, right. Yeah. Right. Definitely important to know. Well, if so- you, Sammy, if you ever did want to go back to school to become a dietitian, it is possible. So, my undergrad was in, you know, not in, it was English literature, right? But it would be, it's a, it's a long, you know, like when I decided to go back, I did have to take about 60 credit hours of just basic science classes. Yeah. And then, and then, but then I didn't have to get a whole nother degree. You know what I mean? And then after that, after I had those, then I could become a dietitian if I did, if I could get into an internship program, which lasts a year. And it's a, it's pretty much a year of indentured servitude where you're just <laughs> working as a dietitian in lots of different, in lots of different um, capacities. So, yeah, for possible. sure. We'll have to, we'll talk more about that afterwards okay. too, I think. Um, so <laughs> tell me more about food rights. Because oh. I know a little bit about it, but my audience doesn't. That's that's true. So <laughs> so so Food Right is a nonprofit that I launched in 2000. Um, well, I started. Um, I've been doing it a long time, but officially we got our um, IRS certification as a nonprofit in 2015. Um, I. Back in 2000, I started working on the Cornerstone program of Food Right, um, though back way way back in 2006. But the mission of Food Right is to empower youth to choose foods that sustain lifelong health, and we do that primarily through culinary nutrition education in the classroom, also some garden-based nutrition education in the classroom. We work with youth primarily, and through the youth, we kind of reach families. And so um, in 2006, when I first, when I just moved to Milwaukee, I, um, and I did a needs assessment, I used to work at the Fondy Food Center, which is the Fondy Farmer's Market, and I did a needs assessment um, for what was going on with nutrition education and nutrition status in Milwaukee and 
you know, at that time I found like Milwaukee has some of the highest rates of childhood obesity. I think an MPS, there was an MPS study that came out uh, several years ago. And I think it was like um, 33% of the, the, the youth were um, obese or overweight that were MPS students. And that's, that's twice the national average. Um, there were no programs at that time that I could find that were teaching any, you know, you know, trying to combat that cycle of obesity and um, chronic um, disease and chronic poor health through, you know, poor nutrition. So, so I um, launched our first program, which was called Youth Chef Academy, and it was supposed to be like a reinvented, a re-envisioned um, home economics you know, cooking home economics. Yeah. Do you, did you, were you um, able to take home economics when you were in middle school? Yeah. When I was in middle school, we called it face and I'm trying to remember what that stood for, but we, we had, what was that? Um, now I'm Googling it quick. Uh, but yeah, we had, we, we did some cooking and we did some sewing, but I think yep. we only got like a quarter of it. It was really short. We yes. like, yeah. Did you grow up in the countryside? Did you grow up in the suburbs or did you grow up in the city? Um, I was in, I guess you would call it the suburbs. Yeah. Well, yeah that's great so. that you got that then. That's awesome. Because <laughs> you're young. And so when I was, we all had to do it. And I, I grew up in the countryside too. So we all had to do home ec. And you're right. It was really just a quarter. It was a quarter of cooking and a quarter of sewing. And, um, and the cooking, I don't know. What was your cooking like? What did you cook? I feel like we didn't actually cook anything well that <laughs> healthy. I mean, like... Outside of, we made some soups. That was probably the healthiest mm. thing we made. But outside right. of that, we made like monkey bread and, you know, like stuff that middle schoolers would like, like, yeah, sugar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so the things I remember the most were like the monkey bread and then the pillow I made. And those, yes. those are my like home ec memories. <laughs> yes. My memory is making an apron and then following that we did the cooking and the cooking, I made French toast. And oh, yeah. I made pizza, but everything was like processed food. Like it was just like assembled pizza and all the ingredients were already, you know, like there was no knife skills. There was no, I guess, you know, Ms. Shipman, who was my home ec teacher was thinking like, I got 30 kids in this classroom. I'm not giving them a knife. I'm already giving them fire. I'm definitely not giving them a knife. I'm yeah, not, like, that's, <laughs> that's a liability. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, man. Yeah, we had like, I mean, for monkey bread, it was like, here, take frozen dough. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just like, and piece it together and then like melt butter and sugar. Margarine, and cinnamon, margarine, you know? probably, not even Probably, butter. probably, because it was like the early 2000s. So, yeah. And, and I was like, wow, this is, I mean, but the interesting thing is like, I learned to cook and bake for my parents and my grandparents, and I started really young. Uh-huh. So, so like, I remember thinking that face class was kind of like basic, you know, like, oh, I, right. I've done more than this, like in my, at home. Cause I, I remember when I was a kid, I begged for an easy bake oven. And my mom oh, was yeah. like, why don't you just use an oven? Like, yeah, I know. Why don't I save 30 bucks and just let you use the oven? <laughs> yeah. She's like, why don't I just teach you how to bake? And, and my grand, my grandma and my great aunt were the same way. They just showed me how to make everything. Um, I actually have a bunch of my grandma's old recipes like sitting next to me right now. Um, and she was very, uh, yeah, she was very like cooking, baking oriented. Yeah. It was very social activity for her. And so that's what I grew up doing. And it was, uh-huh. it was actually weirder to go out to a restaurant or order out or eat something processed. Like that was pretty unusual in my home. So go figure. I, I'm interested in what I'm interested in today. <laughs> that's, well, you know, it's so funny that your mom refused you the easy bake oven because my mom, sure, here have an easy bake oven. You know, like it would never would have dawned on her to like say, "Let me teach you." <laughs> yeah, she's like, "How about?" She, I think we probably started with brownies or cookies, something really easy. You know, she's like, right. "You won't screw this up." And then, yeah, yeah, and then I was just like, "Oh, I'd be like, can we make this? Can I figure out this?" And then I was an only child, so um, you know, I got kind of a lot of free reign in the kitchen. Right. And so then I'd be like, can I cook you guys a three course meal? And they'd be like, yes. What do you mean? Can you please? (laughs) And then I'd be like, okay, this, uh, this, uh, menu is a Tuscan theme and we've got this green salad (laughs) with shaved Parmesan and, uh, 
and like a lentil soup. And, and I was like, what? <laughs> where did I come from? I don't know. You were empowered. And that's exactly what I try to do with the kids at Food Right. Because, you know, like once you like once you get those skills that reinvented home economics where they actually teach you some cooking skills, because a lot of the kids I teach, you know, they they're oh, my goodness. They they're growing up eating exactly the way I ate, maybe even worse, because, you know, it's just like even the kids who are more affluent, you know, um, it's a lot of highly processed food like tombstone pizza and Tyson, you know, frozen chicken chunks and you know zero zero veggies. It's just such a crazy it's a crazy world because everybody's busy and they're like, well, I had swim practice, so I couldn't eat healthy. I'm always just, I'm amazed at these parents, you know, like, what are you doing? You're running around to swim practice and you're giving them McDonald's at the end of swim practice. But anyway, so, um, so that was the idea of the reinvented, um, home, home economics that would, you know, really address the needs of the kids in Milwaukee and, you know, just kids in general in America. And I wanted to teach them knife skills because I felt like once I learned knife skills, it was really liberating. Like I felt like I could do anything in the kitchen and I wanted them to be able to like actually cook like real plant-based meals and then feel, you know, empowered. And so, so I developed the curriculum. It took a long time to develop that curriculum, many iterative um, implementations with several different MPS schools. And I finally did though, um, complete it. And it was for middle school age because that was the age that um, kids are kids are really um, they're like they've got one foot in baby and one foot in adult. They're not big enough yeah. like high school kids where they can drive around and say, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to go get McDonald's. They're still stuck at home, you know, <laughs> but they're big enough that they can develop skills. And then also, you know, research shows that skills that you develop in middle school kind of stay with you forever because your brain is growing you know, exponentially, just like it did when you were a, a two-year-old. And so those skills, the, especially, you know, things that you learn to do, like, you know, riding a bike or a skateboard or play the flute or whatever, they stay with you. So, um, so that's what I did. And I studied, I got to work with um, Dr. Amy Harley at the School of Public Health at UW-Milwaukee. Uh, and, and we evaluated it and the evaluation showed that, yep, the program did indeed increase the amount of fruits and vegetables that kids ate, fruits, vegetables, whole grains that they ate. And, um, and it also, in addition to that, it increased their engagement and learning in the classroom. So it was a really, it was a great study and that kind of launched my ability to kind of go forward and launch my own nonprofit. So I, I left Fondi Food Center. They decided to just work on food access issues and they left me and they said, you can have your curriculum. And, and then I, um, little by little, I started working on, you know, just partnering with schools. And in the beginning, of course, I was, you know, paid, I was paid nothing. I paid myself nothing. <laughs> working with schools and developing the curriculum and figuring out how to implement it with MPS. And um, I, I had um, some wonderful supporters in the beginning. Um, Dr. Roger Mixer, he's a philanthropist in town. He gave me the seed money before I was even a nonprofit and really wanted me to start working on the project. I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit. And I was like, you know, I don't know, work's overrated. It's kind of fun just staying at home and, you know, <laughs> hanging out with my kids. But, you know, he really pushed me. And so um, I started working with Brown Street Academy and um, and I started revving it up again. And, and so in 2014, I was partnering with just like two different schools. And then I, the next thing I, the next year I got a grant from Whole Foods, Whole Foods. Um, the Whole Kids Foundation. I love, I love them. They've supported me an awful lot, and um, I expanded to another five schools, and and then I was able to get USDA funding, and really expand our outreach so that now we're we partner with about 15 different schools and um, one or two organizations every year. We and we reach about 1,500 kids and family members every year. So. It's wow. Growing a lot. It's grown an awful lot. And so yeah, it's um it's good. It's been good. And we have more staff. It's not just me anymore. I have another I have I have another registered dietitian on staff. She's my program manager and I have another one coming on board soon. She'll be my community relations manager and um we're 
We have a couple of AmeriCorps Farm to School um, members who have joined us as well. And so we're really, yeah, we're really gearing up. And my goal ultimately is to reach all of um, the kids in Milwaukee. There's 80,000 school-age kids in Milwaukee, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to teach them all at least for one, you know, one semester at one point in their school career. I'm hoping I can teach them cooking in the classroom because it's, um, it, it does change the way they eat and view food. Yeah. Well, and I really like what you said about, you know, kind of applying those skills in and into their overall school performance because i i've always felt like cooking and baking for me are such creative activities like i just i just like being creative in general like when i when i was i started thinking about okay what are the things that i did in middle school and what do i do now right so like i did a lot of music i was in band and choir and i still do a lot of that stuff now i Uh um you know, learned how to refine my typing skills. Very important. Yes. Yes. I've been trying to drive my children to do that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) I was very competitive uh, when it came to typing, but I started when I was like five. So I don't know. I was, I was just obviously. You're an amazing kid. I was just a weird, I was a weird kid. I thought typing programs were like really fun video games. I'm also just like a gamer. So like anything, (laughs) any kind of game I wanted to play, even if it was like typing, I was like, yeah, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this level, you know? Um, (laughs) But yeah, you know, it's I, I, I definitely started um, getting more independent in the kitchen by the time I was in middle school. And of course, I did this weird rebellion thing in high school where I started to just eat, you know, garbage. Right. I think uh, every, where, that's, every high schooler does that. That's for sure. It's very common. Yeah. We're, yeah. And I think it is, like you said, when you get a car and, and you start to assert your independence and your schedule gets busier, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just have Krispy Kreme in the morning. It was such a, to me, it was a weird rebellion. Um but I, if it's if it sounds normal to you, then maybe it was. But I, I you know, I, I definitely went from like I was. Yeah, I, I ate everything my parents ate. And then I started to learn how to cook. And then I kind of like regressed. But then after college, you know, I was like, wow, there's so many things that I know how to do. And you, and you can get creative. It's like once you kind of learn the rules, you know, it's like yeah. there's so much there's so much other stuff you can do with it. Um, yeah, that's now, right. I did some like volunteer work and my thesis was actually on um, the Victory Garden Initiative. Yeah, you know, Victory Garden Initiative is a wonderful organization. And I know um, the person who launched it, she and I both, our kids were the same age and they both both went to the same daycare. So I know Gretchen quite well. (laughs) And and it's a really wonderful organization. The, you know, I haven't, there's a couple of reasons why I haven't pursued gardening as much as I have culinary. And and well, there's lots of reasons. One is that we, I want to go where the kids are and the kids are in school. They're a captive audience. So I've written a curriculum <laughs> that includes, incorporates, you know, a lot of standards, common core standards. So they learn math. It's a, it's a natural for math and fractions and ratios and things like that. Yeah. Lots of literacy. I also add in a social studies component. They learn where all their foods come from. Like um, oh, we do, cool. yeah, it's cuisines from all around the world we use because those are the best plant-based cuisines. So they learn a little bit about where, you know, if they're making Thai food, they learn where Thailand is. And so, um, so I wanted to be in the classroom. And unfortunately, we're, we're in Wisconsin. And when food is growing, we're not in school. So that's, right. that's, a, that's a big obstacle to get around. And so I have managed to set up a school garden with at least one um, MPS school. Maryland Avenue Montessori is one of the schools I work with. It's one of the my My kids went to that school and they have an amazing garden. It's right behind the Whole Foods on North Avenue and just near Maryland Avenue, obviously. Yeah. And, um, they have an amazing garden, but that was definitely um, not not me. You know what I mean? It was all the parents pulling together and um, and really making that happen. And most schools, unfortunately, don't have that kind of resource. So I plant with Maryland Avenue kids. I plant every spring with the kids. I have a whole curriculum around gardening, and I plant in the spring with the kids. And then over the summer, when none of the kids are there, lots of parents who live in the neighborhood go over there and water the, water the pets. Just to have that support is not usually is not usually what I have at the other schools I'm at. So, so that's kind of a limiting factor. Um, so, 
and I'd say that's the, the one of the biggest factors, right? You know, you have to be able yeah. you know, and then the other thing that I find about gardening is, you know, there was this huge push for a long time to get kids in the garden. I really think it is powerful. It's just such a labor intensive thing. And gardening, the more I've done it, the more I think, and I'm a master gardener. I love gardening. I've been gardening for a long, long time. But it's a, like an old people's hobby in some way because it's such a slow learning curve. You know what I mean? Like you, you plant something one year and then it fails. You're like, okay, I'll do it next year. I'll do it this way. It takes a long time, you know? And so, so culinary skills, you know, the kids are chopping it. I'm teaching them how to chop. I'm teaching them how to saute. I'm teaching it. And now we're eating it. It's like immediate gratification. Yeah. And so the, the gratification that they get from gardening is not really the same. It takes quite a while for that to happen. And so I'll take the kids out to plant something, for example, in the spring, and I'll give them their seeds and they'll, they'll, I'll show them how to plant them. And I, you know, we plant them and then we cover it up and then they're like, okay, now what? And it's like (laughs) 10 minutes, you know? And I'm like, and now we wait. And they're like, they're all so disappointed at the end of that. They're like, oh, you know? They're like, how long? How long are we waiting? Next year, when you come back, there'll be somebody. They're like, oh, man, I'm not going to get to come out next year. He's going to choose somebody else, you know. So that's what's what's held me back. But, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because I have wanted to, I have wanted to do something with the kids and growing because I talk a lot about in my curriculum about plant foods. We eat plant foods. There's three kinds of foods that humans eat. There's plant foods, there's animal foods, and then there's highly processed foods, which, which is almost not a food. And so I'm always talking about plant foods are the, um, the best foods for our bodies. They help us grow strong, live long. So, so, but the kids, like, and I just started te- developing a curriculum for the little ones, for like kindergarten yeah. and first grade. And so when I tell them that, and it's a, it, the curriculum is all about plant foods and animal foods and the work of farmers. They're pretending to be a farmer. They're pretending to be a chef. And when I talk about plant foods, they are just looking at me blankly and cannot for the life of them understand what I'm even talking about. They don't understand. I show them a picture of a tomato plant with tomatoes on it. They are mystified. I should, they get animal food a little bit more. They're like, you kill the cow and then you eat hamburger. I'm like, yes, that's (laughs) so graphic. But, and they get highly processed food. It's it's kind of sad and it's it's funny and and also sad. Like I'll show a picture of all the highly processed foods. First I show the picture of all the the plant foods and they're just they're puzzled. And then I show the animal foods and you can see their little wheels turning. Oh, you got to kill the cow and then you get the hamburger. They kind of get that. And then then I show them the picture of the highly processed food. And they just immediately become so animated. They're like, oh, those are flaming hot chips. And I know I eat those. And then, oh, and that's a Sunny D. And I love, love, you know, they're, and it's so, so I've been thinking that those kids need to grow some. So I've started working on growing how I can do that in the classroom when you can't have in like in the dead of winter. And so I've been working with um, this wonderful Eagle Scout. And he developed a project so I can um, to build me a really cheap and a um, easily assembled like, grow grow kit, so yeah. that kids can grow just even something small, even if it's microgreens, even if it's the herbs, they can grow it from seed, they can harvest it, and they can eat it. I just need them to see that one time because they just don't get that connection. Yeah, microgreens would be really great. I mean, when I was a kid, so yeah, we also gardened a lot when I was a kid. This week, I actually, my parents were camping and I had to go to their garden. My garden is like real kind of sad this year. My parents' garden is intense. It is just like on another <laughs> level. Like I was very impressed. Um, and I have the bug bites to prove it. Pretty gnarly ones. But mm-hmm. but when I was a kid, I mean, I grew up gardening. My grandma had a garden my parents had a garden. So like I learned how to do that. And I was like very fascinated by it. But it is a slow process. And I remembered when I was... I think it was either kindergarten or first grade. The thing that we did was, well, we did two things, I think, in in elementary school. Uh-huh. One was we grew a bean. So we took like um, uh, like a wet paper towel, basically, yeah, 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 and like yeah. a Ziploc bag, and then we watched it sprout. And I remember right. thinking that was the coolest thing ever. Right. And then when I was maybe in like second or third grade, that's when I learned about like that you could grow cuttings. So um we That's pretty we, advanced. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we did like so we did like potatoes or something like oh, that. Okay. And, yeah. Know, 
and watch them take root and grow. And then, you know, we'd be like, whoa, like, so I remember, I remember doing that stuff. And those were like part of, I had a lot of very like science oriented teachers Mm -hmm. growing up in, in elementary school. And they were very about like, yeah, like watching things grow. And those are the two things that stuck with me the most. I think we did a couple other things, but those were the ones I thought were the coolest. Like, wow. Like, especially because it's with the bag, it was like, you could watch it every day change. And I think we even were supposed to like sketch it every day. Yeah. So, so that we could document like how it was growing. Cause yeah, otherwise it's like, if, if you have it in the ground, you won't see it for a couple of weeks. So you're right. just like, nothing's happening. And did it die? And like, I don't know. And then when it pokes up for the first time, you're like, ah, like, so. Yeah. Yeah. I could I do, I could do bean sprouts. We could do something like that. Each kid has their own sprout. And then they could, that's a really good idea. Thank you for that. And then, but we also have like one like tray of them where, you, you know, they're in dirt and they're microgreens, so they can't really necessarily see them, but they have their own and then they have the class one and then they harvest it. Excellent idea, Sammy. Thank you for that. Oh, no problem. That was, I mean, that was the one that really stuck with me. So hopefully uh, kids today still think it's cool with uh, shorter attention spans. No, I think it's uh, <laughs> cool. I remember having that one too. And I did like that one a lot too. Yeah. That's a good one. Nice. Yeah. I actually, so in my thesis, like one of the things I talked about was the difficulty of like the seasonality of gardening, because that yes. really does, that really does um, make it hard for access other times of the year and just like engaging with that type of food other times of the year, right. you know, based on where you live and like what you got close to you, like you're saying some, you know, for some students, it might be like, well, flaming hot Cheetos are the closest thing to me. And if I'm, you know, going to that store where I get them, maybe there's like some potatoes and some bananas and like apples, but not a whole lot else. So that's always been the interesting part too. But it's like, yeah, if you start to pique their interest, like, hey, if you combine all of these things in this way, this is what you can get. Um, I think that that's just awesome. I remember feeling like I, you know, I was like magic, you know, look at what I can make. Like I'm powerful. This is cool. Yes. Yes, exactly right. The empowerment piece is the the biggest piece. Like they can take ownership of what they eat and what they put in their body. So yeah, exactly. Spot on. Um, so before we close, I did want to talk to you because, so a lot of people that I've been talking to, um, yeah, they talk a lot about, I feel like plant-based diet is, has been one of those terms that's just been growing in popularity. And, and as someone who does a lot of marketing and has written materials for food brands, Uh it's interesting how, even if the product is vegan, uh, people have started to shy away from that term and use plant-based because it's just become like the more popular term. Um, okay. And also that it's kind of all encompassing, right? Because it's not just um, not necessarily vegan, but also thinking about the way that it's processed. So, if, you know, when people eat a plant based diet, they talk about it being whole foods, right. you know, lower food, no- plant based diet. That's right. Yeah, lower no processing and and all that stuff. So so it's been interesting to see that shift in 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 marketing and in language. Um, where it's like, you're kind of talking about the same thing, but in a way that feels more approachable. And I think it keeps people from, cause I, the way that I eat, you know, it's like, I have some meat, uh, I mostly eat vegetarian and I could go like weeks and eat vegan and be fine, you know, but, um, well, I mean, it's just, I never really liked meat, so it's very easy. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like, I, to me, that's not unusual. Actually for dinner tonight, we have, um, like slabs of tofu that are marinating in low FODMAP barbecue sauce. We're going to have that with some eggplant. It's going to be really good. Yum. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, but it's been interesting because I think, you know, I've never been able to say like, oh, I'm, I'm vegetarian. I'm vegan. Like what I eat doesn't really fall into a category, but now I can right. say, oh, I'm mostly plant-based, but I do occasionally, you know, have eggs or turkey or something like that. Right. And, um, that doesn't, I mean, even though it's a trendy term, it's like one of those things that's kind of been around forever, but we're calling it something different. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about, because every year there's like a new food trend, a new diet trend that people talk about. And I know that, you know, it is one of your goals to make sure that we don't fall into those traps. So what are, what are some of the trendy things that have come out lately that you would advise against? Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, well, just, you know, fad diets. Well, 
it's interesting because when I was in my graduate studies, we all had to take a diet and we all had to follow the diet for three days and keep a journal and then, you know, track how many calories came in and whatever. And, and no matter what the diet, because lots of people are always, you know, trying to diet. The, the, the minute they find out you're a dietitian, they're like, oh, what do you think of the, you know, the South Beach diet or whatever? And, you know, <laughs> you don't study those South Beach diets. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that is even. But, you know, so we did, it was an interesting class because we did get to like review the South Beach diet or Dean Ornish or whatever. And all diets basically um, lower calories. And it just is a different way of lowering calories. So like, um, like a, like the Atkins diet, for example, it's, you know, you can eat a lot of meat, but not a lot of grains and not a lot of carbs. It's just really eliminating like a whole category of food and when you do that you're just eliminating calories so it's kind of still it's always a simple equation like calories in calories out it's an energy balance right so if there's more calories coming in than are going out you are going to gain weight and if there's less then you're going to lose weight you know and if you keep it constant you're going to just stay the same so um and my advice is always just to you know eat a whole food plant-based diet try to eat you know if anyone's ever read Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, I should have yeah. written that book before yes. he did because that's how I've, I've been telling everybody to eat that way for a long, long time before Michael Pollan came out with the book, but he did a great job. So I'm going to promote his book too. It's just, you know, what he says is right. You know, you eat, um, eat mostly plants and not a lot and make sure that they're not, you know, processed, right? So yeah. eat foods that your grandmother your great grandmother would have eaten. And that's really the key. And so you can, of course, eat meat and you can, of course, have dairy or whatever agrees with you, you know, if that's fine for you. Some people can't have dairy or whatever. But um, I just, I think, you know, portions are out of control in America. People eat a lot. Food is all around us. It's very hard to say no. Even for me, you know, it's just a toxic food environment. If somebody yeah. has candy at their desk and I keep passing by that desk, of course, eventually I'm going to take a piece of candy. I cannot stop myself, you know? And so it's hard to eat healthy, but if you can try to like make it a priority and, and eat that eat that whole food plant-based diet, try to avoid highly processed foods. That's for sure. And, um, and the more plants you eat, the healthier you are and the more whole plants. So like I avoid all, you know, I try to avoid white, highly processed breads. You know, of course my kids, that's all they want to eat. Um, (laughs) I can't, you know, like the vegan thing. I think that people are very, I think that people are turned off by that vegan idea because it's a very challenging diet to do. Even I would be challenged by that diet. I would miss eggs. I would miss bakery treat. You know what I mean? It just eliminates so many things. But if you can just aim for that whole food plant-based diet, I think that seems more tenable for most, for most people. And, um, and it's a journey, you know, health is a journey. So if you're eating lots of highly processed food now, or you're drinking, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's going to be a slow transition to change the way you eat, you know, and, and, and I don't think that you can be healthy unless you, you cook or somebody's cooking for you, you know, like you're Oprah and somebody's cooking for you. I just don't think you can be healthy if you don't cook. And so that's why it was so central for me to make sure that it was a cooking based nutrition education program, because that's the only way to really change behavior, not just to say, eat this. Yeah give them a way to eat it and actually enjoy it. So, yeah, that was actually in another episode I mentioned, you know, and I don't remember, I think it was in cooked and it wasn't an omnivorous dilemma, but Michael Pollan talking about, you know, if you cook your own food, um, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to add too much sodium to it. You know, like if it's, if it's not processed and you're just salting it to taste, it's not like a processed food where right. they're adding a bunch of sodium as like a preservative on top of whatever saltiness they put in there. And right. that's always stuck with me where it's like, yeah, if you're, and you know, it's like, if you're cooking it yourself, you can control every aspect of what it is that you put in it. And you're probably not going to go to extremes. And here's another, I have you read a uh, salt, sugar, fat? I, I know that cookbook and I have seen it and I have not gotten it yet. So no, is it wonderful? Should I get it? Well, so salt, sugar, fat isn't a cookbook that I think you're thinking of um, salt, fat, acid, heat. Oh, I am. Um, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, salt, sugar, fat. That's about like what humans crave and why yep. they put that in the pro- Okay. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. 
No, no, it's good. That so yeah, Salt Sugar Fat is a really great book uh, to understand the what processed foods do to our brains, you know, right. and like and and how we crave them and how we go after them and you know, it's it's really interesting to think, yeah, like if you're if you're making that stuff on your own, your body is not going to go into overdrive like that. You know, what's which is going to help you in the first place and um right. In every episode, I've been talking about my journey with sourdough starters. Um, <laughs> it has been a journey. Um, and I actually finally, I, I I wrestled with a spelt starter for, I don't even want to admit how long. It was months. Um, and uh, finally inherited a very healthy sourdough starter from a friend. And so now I'm starting to bake with that. But it's like, that's another thing that I really love. It's like, even if you want, you know, because... For me, um, I eat a low FODMAP diet, so uh-huh. uh, they recommend, you know, um, sourdough bread or, you know, spelt, like things that are easier to process, uh, things that are a little bit easier on your system. Okay. And um, <laughs> so I was like, I got to make my own sourdough because they say that yeast can actually not be so great. Like you've got to try to make it like a wild sourdough. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make Oh my it. goodness. Um, and, but, but, you know, the nice thing is if you're going through all that effort to like make your own loaves of bread, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, come on, there's, it's only like three ingredients, you know, right. it's, it's my wild starter. It's whatever flour I use and some water and salt. Okay. Four ingredients, you know, and well, you're I an know- amazing person, you know, <laughs> you're, you're the exception. So, you know, people ask, you know, like you're, you're way over on the right. And then most of the people I'm, I'm with are on the opposite end of that spectrum where they're just eating all processed food all the time you know what I mean so like just to get them to eat like add a vegetable into your diet every day that's a huge step so I think God bless you for like (laughs) your own bread because I would not have patience for that no way oh my god it's so (laughs) rewarding I actually started by um there's a really good cookbook called artisan bread in five minutes a day and it Uh legit if you can have yeast um it's a great uh, way to make bread because basically you just like make this really ba- big batch of dough uh-huh. and then you break off like a grapefruit sized handful of it uh-huh. and just bake that you know almost every day like I think I probably would bake it every other day and you have this tiny loaf that you use throughout you know like so then if you basically have fresh bread every day that's amazing I would do it. maybe I try that it was really easy. I mean, no joke, so easy. And now I've started to graduate into like, I bought a fancy bread baker and like a basket, a proofing basket. And I'm like going to do the thing and I'm going to, you know, and I'm on all these artisan bread sites and it's very overwhelming. But You and everybody else, there's been so many people that are doing that since COVID, right? Like they ran out of flour, I heard, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing that sucks is like I started, um, so I got diagnosed with SIBO. Um, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh Um, So, so to manage that, you know, there's like a couple diets that they recommend. One of them is a low FODMAP diet. There's other ones that are like way more extreme, basically just to try to get your, like the bacteria from going into your small intestine where it doesn't belong. Um, So it's, so it's healthy bacteria. It's just an overgrowth. And so there's certain foods that feed that and there's certain foods that don't. So, you know, it's all about like, all right, stick, you know, like kombucha, you love that. You can't have it anymore. You know, <laughs> like, and that's oh, like yeah. the yeast kombucha, just anything that breeds that good bacteria. And I love things with probiotics in them. They're like, yeah, all that you got to cut out for a while. Um, so, you know, that's when I was like, all right, I got to make my own sourdough. Cause there's only a couple sourdough breads you can buy off the shelf that don't have yeast or like, um, they're fake sourdough. They put vinegar in them and things oh, like okay. that. So it's yeah. not actually sourdough bread. Right. Um, so I was like, all right, well I can source like Breadsmith is one of the places where you can get real sourdough bread. Interesting. Um, I know I was really surprised. I didn't think it would be, but they have minimal ingredients. It's really cool. Um, and so I was like, all right, well I can get it from there, but I really want to try to make it myself. And of course, like this started at the beginning of January right. and at the same time, you know, I was starting to get ramped up and I was starting to move into this diet. And then mm-hmm. like everyone jumped on up. the bandwagon with you. Oh my everybody, God. Everybody started making sourdough and I couldn't get flour and I couldn't get the things I needed. And I was like, no, you guys don't get it. Like I, I this. <laughs> this is important. Uh, so it was very, but it's, but it's really rewarding because this week I, I made two like totally perfect loaves 
And it was really easy. And I'm like, I finally made it. So it's very well, kudos to you. I'm always worried that if I become too, I, I purposely try not to be a good baker. Because <laughs> I love bakery goods more than anything. And the more carby it is, the more, and I just love that kind of food. I just love carby foods. And so I just, if I make, if I baked it, I'm going to, generally speaking, if I bake something, I'm eating it more than everybody else in the house. So I'm trying not to do that. So that the I, things I try to do are like uh, find, make things that are easy to freeze uh-huh. so then I can like take them out as I want them instead of just having them up on my counter. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Or, okay. I can do that. I can do yeah, that. So like I freeze things and then I also, uh, I, most of the time when I bake, I'm doing it to give it to other people. Oh, you're so, so nice. So I'll like make a thing of muffins or whatever, and I'll keep like a few of them and then, you know, give the rest to other people, which that's actually one of the things that I miss, like being remote right now and not being in the office. Is, right. I'm like, I don't have people to make food for, and it's a weird feeling um, outside yeah. of the people. I mean, like the person in my house and the dogs right. in the house and whatnot. Right. But um <laughs> But the yeah, dogs appreciate the muffins, I'm sure. Oh my god. <laughs> you know what's interesting is my dog is really into a lot of the same fruits and veggies that I'm into because I started sharing them with him because I was like, well, if he's gonna eat people food, I want it to be healthy people food. And like of yeah. course I Googled all the food beforehand. But now, like if I'm eating a cucumber or snap peas or carrots, he gets all up in my business. And he's just like, you're going to give me some. And he gets really angry if I don't. Oh my God. That's awesome. I, I created a monster. I'd say the junkiest thing he likes. Well, besides like cheese and hot dogs, which was what he used when we first trained him, you know, right. and like really had to bribe him. All dogs like hot dogs and cheese whiz, of course. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. He loves popcorn. He goes berserk when we make popcorn, you know. Oh, that's like, oh, funny. That's yeah. Funny. We've I'll got like one of those like, whirly pops, you know, with like, we'd, we'll do like the coconut oil and the over the stove thing. And uh-huh. when he hears that going, he's like, oh my God, like I'm going to get popcorn. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah so okay so we talked about let's see we talked about south beach uh we talked about atkins um yeah i feel like most of the people that um i I feel like it's kind of died down by now but a lot of people were talking about keto for a while and i just couldn't which is like atkins i think right yeah it's like it's it's just like very high fat um yeah, I think it's a lot like Atkins, but I know that there's some differences. And before that, it was like paleo, right? right. There's right. it's always just comes in with a different name, I think. Yeah, I you know, and I don't worry. I mean, yeah, the the weight loss thing. So whenever I need to lose weight, and I do, you know, need to lose weight every now and again, I try to keep them healthy weight. But you know, right around Halloween time, those Reese's peanut butter cups come in for my kids, sure. and then. <laughs> And it's all downhill from there, like it's Thanksgiving and then Christmas cookies. I love sugar cookies. They're my favorite. And so usually um, I have to, I go, I need to lose weight every now and again, and I never can do it on my own. And so my, my, I'm not that kind of dietitian. I'm a public health dietitian. So whenever I'm like a little bit overweight, I'll go to Weight Watchers because they always give really, really sound, you know, advice. It's like a balanced yeah. diet, sound advice. And so I'm like, okay. And then I, you know, I need somebody to yell at me once a week if I did badly, you know? Yes, yeah, accountability. <laughs> see, and that's what makes like a health coach good because they're like accountability buddies. Exactly. That's, of- that's what it is. I just need some, I need to pay money to somebody so they look disappointed if I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Yeah. One of my <laughs> friends just asked me if I would be a coach for her for walking because um, I'm training for a 50 mile walk uh, in September. And this wow. will be my, yeah, this will be my fifth time doing it. So I'm not a newbie. Um, but but it requires like really long walks on the weekends to kind of gear up to it. Cause right. you do, you do 20 miles, 20 miles and 10 miles. And, right. uh, <laughs> so wow. I was like, so, and I've had people like sponsor my, this is for the Wisconsin MS society. So I've had okay. people like sponsor my miles and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, keep me accountable by paying me to walk these days. Right. And then right. You I said I you're going to do it. You can't let them down. Right. Yeah. Like if I don't do it, I'll pay you back. You know, like that's kind of my way to motivate myself. And then one of my friends was like, can you tell me when you're about to go walk? Because that'll make me go to it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So like, she's like, can you just text me like every day and just be like, 
you know, hey, did you walk today? And I'm like, see, that's what a coach does. Just, exactly. It's just, it's just poking someone and being like, hey, are you on track? Are you doing the thing? I'm just, I'm just wondering, just right. curious. Right. Um, so I'll be doing that with, uh, I actually uh, will be messaging her probably right after we get off and say, hey, I'm about to do four miles. So are you going to be doing, how many miles are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Okay. Yes. You should, and you should make her, you should charge her a bit and then donate that money to the, um, to the charity that you're walking for. And that, yeah, right? there you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Wisconsin MS Society does a challenge walk every year. Um, usually, obviously we all do it together, right. uh, but this year it's going to be a little weird cause we're going to be virtual. So, oh yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, so it's kind of sad cause I won't have my, uh, you know, my medical professionals driving past me and my rest stops with Gatorade and whatever. And yeah, so, just seeing other people do it. So you don't feel like you're alone walking the earth alone, you know? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, a, it's going to be a little weird. Uh, so I've, I've kind of started to plan out the route and where I want people to be stationed for my assistance if I need it. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. But it's, but it, yeah, it's going to be strange. A lot of people are still going to be doing the walk, but we're all doing it in our own backyards with our own routes and you know faces covered for 20 miles hopefully not just in your backyard 50 miles in your backyard can you imagine you're like the cage (laughs) you're like the hyena at the zoo poor thing I luckily (laughs) I I have a route in mind I've been uh I've been walking it on the weekends and kind of trying to figure out like exactly how far I want to go on it and what I want to do and like where's a good place to stop but yeah anyway uh yeah, that's been that's been kind of a fun activity. Now, in terms of resources, we talked about omnivorous dilemma. I brought up cooked and salt, sugar, fat. Are there other uh, resources that you uh, give to people when they're looking to, you know, eat healthier or cook more, or you know, are there are there things that you tend to recommend? Um, you know, as a as a dietitian, one of one of the resources I really like a lot is Center for Science and the Public Interest. They, um, they have very um, grounded uh, nutrition and um, health advice, and it's a very um, small, like I, I wouldn't even call it a magazine. It's almost like a bulletin, but um, I, I donate to them and they send that bulletin and they, they summarize um, all sorts of, you know, the most recent studies and evidence-based uh, research that shows, you know, on a number of topics like, you know, um, cardiovascular, um, health or, you know, um, arthritis or what, you know what I mean? They'll feature something, but then they always talk about food and what, whatnot. And so that's a really nice journal center for science and the public interest. They have a great little journal that I subscribe to. And, and they're a, they're a watch, they're a watchdog for, um, you know, for food. So they're some of the people that helped advocate for the new nutrition facts to make sure that, you know, like trans fats, they advocated strongly to get rid of trans fats and processed foods and that kind of stuff. So they're, they're an awesome resource. And then also there's, you know, just our website for, for recipes, you'd brought up like your dog loves popcorn and we have a ton of popcorn recipes on the food, right website. So all of our plant-based recipes are there at foodright.org. And, um, and our popcorn recipes are some of our most favorite. As soon as um, the (laughs) pandemic happened, all of my Good friends said, can you send me the popcorn recipes? Can you send me your popcorn recipes? And so uh, that's like, I'm famous for bringing popcorn to like a, like a potluck because it's, um, it's so easy to make and you can make it so delicious so easily. And so we have lots of wonderful things like um, popcorn from India, Indian inspired popcorn and all sorts of ones. So the, those are, Food Right has some great resources as well. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking at apple pie popcorn right now going, Oh, that one's one's delicious. I would say the Bombay bell is one of the most popular ones, but, um, nice. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I'm like looking at the dips and looking at the popcorn. I'm like, Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we are we are definitely a popcorn. It's weird because I also grew up eating a lot of popcorn. Like my parents would make popcorn all the time. I don't know. That's like always the snack. So it's a healthy snack. It's a whole grain. Yeah. I always tell people it's a whole grain. So the kids are always excited. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you should eat these, not chips. Yeah, so. there you go. And it's yeah, like good fiber. You know, like what is it? Like volumetrics, right? You know, it fills you up, but it's healthy and it's yummy, and and it's a whole grain, and you yeah. can make it taste delicious, and you can eat local. I always buy from my favorite farmer, um, 
Bob Craig, Craigland Farms. He sells at Fondy. He sells popcorn. And I always buy my a year's supply from him every, you know, every season. And and you just eat local all year round with popcorn. That's sweet. Um now, okay, let's see. Any other resources you would recommend? Um, any other, I know we talked about maybe like documentaries, any other books? Yeah, you know, for documentaries, and I know there's so many documentaries out there, and um, there's, you know, of the more popular ones, like Forks Over Knives is, you know, a really, was a really good one, and Super yeah. Size Me, I thought was a really uh, good one. These are a little bit older, and um there was one just recently, you know, like, yeah, those are classics, right? (laughs) And, um, I just, there was just one and I can't think of the name of it. And it was on, I think it was on Netflix. It was not the weight of the nation. That's an older one, but it was, and I think it was Jane Pauley was the narrator. I'm like, what could she possibly more have to say about this? And you know what? I was, there was, she had more to say. It was a really good one. And I can't even think of the name of it right now, but it was really, it was really quite good. But yeah, you just need to watch a few of them. And then you're like, what are we eating? Like, we need to stop eating like this. So yeah. (laughs) Forks Over Knives is especially powerful. Yeah. yeah, Forks Over Knives was a really was a really good one, I, I thought. And yeah, Super Size Me, that one, you know, even though it was like, okay, that's really extreme, <laughs> you know, like, who's really going to do that every single day? But boy, did it, I mean, you can really see, like, how that adds up, you know, if you think about, like, well, I guess if you were in a hurry every day and that's what you did, that's what oh would happen. Oh, my God, you Sammy, know? you just, you're so out of touch with how some people eat. Some people I are guess so. <laughs> It's I'm like, always appalled too. I'm always like, what? Every day McDonald's, like every day McDonald's for breakfast or every day. It's amazing. Even, you know, like it's, it is amazing. So yeah, that I think it probably would shock me because I, as far as like fast food restaurants go, it's, yeah, it's very rare that I eat at one, but the most exciting development for me was Burger King getting an impossible Whopper. I, was I like, ate it oh. twice. I ate it twice. Yeah. Did you eat yeah. it yet? Yeah. I was not yeah. impressed. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I I actually liked it, but I will say, um, if you're gonna go that route, mm. Red Red Robin makes. They have they use Impossible Meat. We actually have some uh, at our in our house right now because Imperfect Foods just started carrying uh-huh. Impossible. Oh, okay. And, and I don't really eat that all that much, but it I do like having it occasionally. Um, right. And. But Red Robin prepared it the best I've ever had it. And they have like uh, multi-grain rolls or like lettuce wraps that you can get instead of like whatever, you know, you can kind of like really? build your own burger there. Red Robin is way healthier than anyone would think if you go for the options like to customize. So uh-huh. so I, I had gotten it with like avocado slices on top and like a whole grain bun. And then you can get bottomless steamed broccoli. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> wow. Instead of fries. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, so I would, I would say that that would be, that's kind of an, an interesting option for people who, you know, are looking to try something different or they want to eat out, but they still want to eat healthy. I was right. really impressed. I was super impressed with that. All right. Red Robin for a local, more of a local option. I think Sobelman's also has the impossible burger and it wasn't oh, that I go. didn't like that. You know what? I, I need to try it one more time. Because I used to, little fact, I used to work at Burger King when I was in high school. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, I did. That was one of my first jobs. And you have to order it if you order it fresh. So I think what I should have done, you know, who knows how long my Whopper, you know, my Impossible Whopper was sitting there. You know, I should have gone and ordered it fresh. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely would say, like, we've had it a couple times. Like, that's kind of like... I would say, you know, every few months or something when I'm like, I just really want one, you know, like yeah. we'll get one. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a big difference between, cause we got it delivered. Um, like maybe a couple weeks ago, we got one delivered and we were like, it's not the same. It was much better in the before times, uh, yes. when we were able to sit there and eat it, it was much yeah. better. <laughs> so, the before times for sure. Yeah, that, That's what I've been calling it. The before times. Yeah. I like that. Uh, we use that. But yeah. All right. Oh gosh. Now, well, at least I've got tofu ready downstairs. See, then I won't order anything crazy. Cause I, yeah, I know we can't marinated. talk about burgers now when you're hungry. I know, <laughs> but my tofu is all set to go. My eggplants in like 
like a balsamic, you know, it's been brushed with like a balsamic dressing. It's going to be so good. Wonderful. I wish I was there. (laughs) Well, I'll let you know how it is. And thanks again for taking the time to to talk with me. Oh, it was really my, it was my pleasure. And um, let me know if you ever want me back and um, and to be the nutrition expert for sure. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, in the meanwhile, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode and please stay safe and stay healthy, wash your hands and take care of yourselves. Thank you. It was fun. I have a bad, there's, I have a bad note on here. All of a sudden it appeared. It said lost connection to server attempt to reconnect, but you can still hear me the whole time. How could that possibly be?